Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs, and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, this episode is brought to you by my very own NLP Practitioner Course. I've been teaching neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP, for nearly 15 years. It is the most powerful tool for communication on the planet, and it can be yours today. For a very limited time, I'm giving away my entire NLP course workbook for free. Go to nlpwithmatt.com. All the patterns, all the tools, and the techniques of NLP in the complete course workbook, the same one that we use to teach our live certification classes, yours free. NLPwithmatt.com. Get it today. Let's get back to the show. Hey, welcome back, man. Welcome back to The Driven Entrepreneur. It's another amazing Friday. Man, I hope this week went well for you and you're ready to get into an awesome, awesome weekend. But hey, if you're an entrepreneur, your weekends are filled with the thing you love, which is your business, which is work. You might be having a fun time like I do with my family during the week. I'll take Tuesdays off or Wednesdays off, uh, but then I love diving in and, and doing teaching, speaking, whatever I'm doing over the weekend. So let's see what you're up to. My guest today is Mr. Ed Molitor. Now, Ed, he's, you know, he kind of embodies that. We were just chatting before the interview or before we went uh, to tape here. You know, for 26 years, he has developed his leadership skills in athletics and in business. So I love this. He comes from an athletic background, uh, working as an NCAA basketball coach at Texas A&M, uh, really, really high profile coaching there. And to becoming the vice president of operations at an industry leading recruiting firm, he runs a podcast called The Athletics of Business, and he ties in the the uh, the the combo of leadership, management, but really it's mindset and skill set um, from you know the athletics background. So I'm excited to jump in uh, to pick this guy's brain. Ed, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing well, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. I love your work. I love what you're doing. Well, well thank you. What a wonderful way to start an interview. What a wonderful way, Ed. Were you, how tall are you? Do I really have to tell you? I got, I got to know. Well, so this, my, this is how we my, start every interview. Just my see, my senior year, <laughs> my senior year in high school, they allowed me to fill out my uh, height myself for the program. And I listed myself at six, two. And then my freshman year at Creighton university, they listed me at five ten. So you figure that one out. <laughs> All right. So you don't have to be a giant to be an athlete. Were you, were you like into sports a ton all growing up? Like, were you a a little league guy? Were you all into all this stuff? And then it was a natural fit to jump into coaching or did you find yourself in there kind of through a random happenstance? How did that happen? No, you know, I had a great fortune of growing up a coach's son. And my dad is from the old school, uh, the South side of Chicago Catholic league. Uh, I was always in the gym. You know, my mom had an amazing professional career as well, but I was always in a gym. I always had a ball in my hand, whether it was a basketball, a football, a baseball, but basketball was always my sport. I mean, you know, my dad was my guy and his team. Those were my guys. Those were my big brothers. And I just fell in love with the game. I fell in love with the idea of the team. And I obviously didn't notice at a young age, but that whole being a part of something bigger than yourself just always appealed to me. It was always really cool. And, And honestly, I went to Creighton. I was pre-med and I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. 
game my sophomore year, one of the assistant coaches called me in and said, hey, you know, what, what do you really want to be? Do you really want to be a doctor? And at that point in my life, I was so young and dumb. All I wanted was playing time, right? So I said, I, I think so. I mean, I know, you know, and so he goes, I think you'd be a really, really good coach because obviously you come from good stock and uh, my dad had an amazing career. And uh, so I changed my, changed my major to business. And then I, you know, at the time, getting your master's degree in business, getting an MBA was sort of the thing to do if you want to be a college coach. So that was the path I set out on after I graduated. And that is how I got into coaching. Wow. So you started like you just shifted gears and went, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go in and professionally be a coach on purpose. Like that was, that was the plan. I always get so curious about people as coaches where sometimes it's someone who did the thing for years and retired. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's someone who said, I want to coach and be a teacher. That's who I am. What's Mm -hmm. the difference to you between, and this might be kind of a funny question, but someone who has say, you know, had a career, I don't know, for however long in a particular sport. And then when they retire, they begin coaching versus someone who trains and goes into it education wise as a coach. And I don't know if one is well, better than the other or different yeah, flavors. What's the difference to you? I, you know, it wasn't like I really trained to be a coach. You know, I think there's something the, the great coach is the one that really make the big impact. Cause that's the, that's really the reason you get into coaching is to make an impact on kids' lives, right? And not just on the court, but off the court. And I, I think there's a lot of different ways you can look at this. There's some former players that, that play professionally and get out of it, and they just they don't have it. They don't have what it takes to, uh, to be a coach, okay? There's certain parts of the business they don't understand. And then there's other guys like Juwan Howard at Michigan, great example. You talk about a, you talk about a true leader right? And you talk about a guy who just understands and was meant to coach. And why is that? Because probably in his life, his coaches had a huge impact. He did not have an easy upbringing. I mean, did not. And, and so you have to want to get into coaching for the right reason. And I don't know if I'm really answering your question because it's a great question, but you don't really train. It's not like I went to college and set, took classes to become a college basketball coach. You don't, you don't sure. do that. What you, what you do is you pay your dues. You know, you, you sweep floors, you go to clinics, you write as many handwritten notes as you possibly can. You get to know guys, you make phone calls. You know, really, it's no different than being an entrepreneur. I mean, it really isn't. You have to build your brand. You know, what, what do you hang your hat on as a young assistant coach? And, and who do you surround yourself with? And who's your inner circle? Who are your mentors? And, and that's what you have to be really intentional about. And I grew up, I was so blessed to grow up around what we consider here in the Chicagoland area, the giants of basketball, both high school and college. And, and I had some great mentors before I even knew what the word mentor meant. And, uh-huh. You know, and it, that was just really, that was really something that always, that always stuck with me. And I, that had a lot to do, pretty much everything to do with why I do what I do now. So for you, um, t- tell me about Texas A&M. How did you get into that? Was that like one of the original coaching pieces or had you, like in so many careers, people will coach at different levels at different places. And then, because Texas A&M, that's a big name. And to be an NCAA coach, what was the pathway to that? And did you have any blips or, um, or setbacks along the way? Oh, we had blips now. We, uh, <laughs> what, well, what and ha- you personally, on, on the, kind of on the career path, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So what happened was I graduated. I was at Creighton for two years, and I played for a gentleman by the name of, of Tony Brony, Coach B, um, who is family to me. Coach recently passed away after a, a great fight with cancer. I mean, a, a, just a, a, a tough person. And, and I played for him for two years. 
and transferred to an NAI school, St. Ambrose, and played there for two years. And when I got out of Ambrose, when I graduated, I became a graduate assistant at Lewis University, which is right outside Chicago. Uh, I was a grad assistant for one year. I was moved up to the full-time, the top position my second year. And I did that for three more years. So I was at Lewis for a total of four years. And then I joined Coach Brony down at Texas A&M. And I was there for his last two years at Texas A&M. And unfortunately, in 1998, uh, coach was, they called it reassigned, but basically coach was let go. Um, and that's when things changed, you know. And, then, and I was there and I got out of the business, but I kept going back into it. I ended up going to DePaul for a year in Northern Illinois for a year. So I wasn't done coaching, uh, but I did get out of it for a few years after Texas A&M. What, what brought you to the point where you thought you want to, you said you got out for a few years and then did you get back into it before you went into business? Well, so when we got fired in 1998 at Texas a I joined, I, got, I moved back to Chicago. Now, you got to keep this in mind, okay? Before I moved to Texas, I was living across the street from Wrigley Field with two of my best friends. Life was real simple, right? Sign players, win games, make sure they go to class, and you, you do things the right way and impact them positively, and then go to Cubs games. So life was real easy. <laughs> and then go to so, Cubs games. I yeah, and then go to Cubs games, right? <laughs> and make sure someone's selling your tickets and parking spot if you can't make the weekend games. But then... Uh, and then I go down in Texas and when we got fired, I, I just thought, you know, my entire life's been basketball. There's gotta be more. I want to get back to Chicago. And when I was home at Christmas for a couple of days, I had had dinner with a friend and, and the gentleman who's the president of their mortgage company. And they said, if anything ever happens, you always have a spot with us. So I just jumped at it. Just, didn't think much about it. Went to work in the mortgage business. Uh, great location. We were in Old Town in Chicago, North Avenue and Wells. Uh, it was the beginning of the 1998 refi boom. I was just going to ask what year was that? Yeah. So early yep. 98. Yep. Early 90. Yep. So it was April of 98 when I joined them. You know, really May is when I finally got there, uh, when I made my way up from Texas. And, and I did it. And I, I did that for about a year and a half, two years. But I just, you know, and I said this to you before we started recording, I didn't translate my why, which shame on me. I didn't translate my why from coaching, was, which was to make a positive impact on a young man's life on and off the court so he can maximize his, his success. And when I got in the mortgage business, I didn't really understand the fact I had a why. I didn't understand I had a purpose, right? Um, to me, everyone talked about metrics. Everyone talked about numbers. Everyone talked about, you know, how many pre-approvals, how many originations, how many loans are you closing, what's your sure. pipeline? And that's it. And it was about putting plaques on the wall and dollars in your pocket. And I had no time. That wasn't me. That wasn't who I was. I was uncomfortable doing that. And I was doing well. I was doing fine. But I really got away from who I was and my core values and, and my authenticity slide, you know, slid. I had integrity slippage. It was a bad deal. So, you know, I thought the solution to that would just go back into coaching. And I kept bouncing back and forth. Um, you know, and then eventually, obviously, I decided that it was time to make a decision. And there's a label you can get when you're coaching. And people, some people think it's a compliment, which it is. And some people can kind of frown at it, which I did was for me personally now. And that label is a survivor, right? And I'll never forget it. Someone very close to me said, man, and they were saying it as a compliment. They said, man, you are a survivor. Huh. And while I appreciated it and they meant in the business, right? And while I appreciated it, that's not what I wanted to be. And when I finally walked away from it, you know, I just made a decision that I, I, I really, I really needed to uh, focus and dial into the fact that I could, because you, you go back to the why and the purpose in the mortgage industry. I was working with basically people in my age group, first time home buyers, right? The single biggest financial investment they had made up until that point in their life. And the second group of people I was working 
um, probably mid 40s, 50s, people that were taking the equity out of their home, their hard earned built up equity and paying off debt, paying for their student, uh, their, their, excuse me, their uh, son or daughter's college tuition, buying a second home, you know, all sorts of different things that they worked hard to be able to do. I didn't understand that. I didn't understand those, you know, all, every day when I got to the office, it was about chasing. Well, it was metrics. Chasing, it was, it, metrics. It was all, all metrics. You know, what's interesting too, as you say that, Ed, so I, I'm really late, man. I'm shaking my head right now. Um, I got in, into the mortgage business out of high school at, in March, 1998. So I was one beautiful one month before you. So yeah. I remember the exact moment and I remember going down to six and seven eighths interest rates. And I remember being, for me, I was 18 years old and I'm sitting across from, like you said, you know, exactly that person, those two different people, especially right. the 50 year old couple. This is their life savings. And I'm trying to explain, well, this is what you have to do. And this is what I, you know, I'm trying right. to be the mature adult there. And when, when I left, I left for very similar reasons. It was that purpose thing. And like, you know, people have heard my story. I don't need to share the whole thing, but you know, I went to a Tony Robbins event. I saw trainers on stage, helping people change their lives and coaching and speaking. And I thought, man, like I want to do something that makes an impact. Right. And I could have right? Like I abandoned my entire, at that point, I had a mortgage business. I had a real estate company. I was an investor. I had done 10 flip homes. And, but at that point, I, I'm in my mid twenties. And I thought there's, I don't have a purpose in this. This mm -hmm. is just money in the bank. This is just selfish and greed. Although the bigger picture is, you know, cause I had friends that were in real estate and they said, man, you know why I do this? Because like last month we closed on this first time home buying house for a family with three kids and it was December 21st and they got to have a Christmas tree in their own home yep. for the first time ever. Yep. Amen. Like, they were just like jumping. <laughs> so excited at their purpose. Right. Yeah. But I was like, well, there is no purpose in this. This is greedy. And I realized purpose is a matter of perspective. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about purpose being a matter of perspective for you. And how did you find it again? What be after the kind of the bouncing back and forth, uh, as you said, well, where did you find it? And, and what was it about was it how old you were? Was it being more mature? Was it, um, is there a story to that? I'm not sure. But well, yeah, there's, there's, there's a long story to it, but I, I always said that my purpose and my why was sort of like this pilot light inside of me that wouldn't go out, you know? Yes. And I, I really, as a career, as my career developed and went on, I started to realize that I was really getting away from who I was and what I stood for. And I went through some personal challenges. I went through some, some, some near-death experiences, some personal challenges. And I, and I realized this empty, hollow feeling I, I had was because I wasn't serving others. And I wasn't, I wasn't making an impact. And really, the only, the only impact I was making on people's lives, especially those close to me, like, what is going on with them? What's, you know, what's wrong? What can we do? How can we help him? And the reality of the situation is I needed to focus on how can I help other people? And I needed to get back to that. And I thought back to the greatest relationships I, you know, I had. And, and I started to think in terms of, okay, what makes me, what makes me come alive? You know, and I really break down when I talk to clients about their purpose, or I, I talk to a lot of young athletes about their purpose. You know, what makes you come alive? You know, what are you, what are your strengths? What are you, what are you good at? And, and the one for me was, where do I add the greatest value? Yes. And that, that just really just resonated with me. And, you know, that some of the greatest value I added to some of the players' lives I coached or the people I worked with, the people I led, whether it's in the mortgage industry, the recruiting industry, was just the conversations that we had. And just them knowing that I was in the fight with them and that I had their back. 
you know, them knowing that they always had, they always had someone that was going to, you know, talk of like it was, was going to have fierce dialogue, right. Was going to, you know, be able to run to the fight with them. And that's where I, I realized I was making an impact on people's lives and, and being real with people, you know, yes. accepting reality, not settling for it. Okay. This is where we're at. You know, this is, this is how it is. Now, what are we going to do about it? And, and the big thing for me, and it goes back to really one of the first things that resonated with me in college about uh, business was Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people. It was really the first business book I had read cover to cover that I was told to read. You know, I like to think I come up with things on my own. I still do. <laughs> all right. And, and, you know, begin with the end in mind, right? And there's a, there's a great book out by uh, David Brooks, The Road to Character, that talks about legacy, um, legacy virtue, excuse me, eulogy virtues versus resume virtues. Yes. And to me, that's what it's all about. You know, what, what is it? How do you want, how do you want to be remembered in life? And how do you want to measure your life? And at the end of the day, it's not going to be the dollar, dollars in the bank. Now, there's a way to live your purpose. There's a way to live it out in a passionate way, in a productive, effective way that serves others. And those dollars to be a byproduct, right? Those dollars to be a result of it. There's absolutely a way to do that. But I had, think, I had the thinking all backwards because I was always, I got in this mindset of survival. I got in this mindset of chasing things. And, and that just well, I happens. Think so, I think so many people do that too, right? We, absolutely. It, you know, it, it's easy to, I say it like this, it's easy to chase your purpose when you have plenty of money in the bank and you've already been successful, but it's a lot harder to chase your purpose when you're eating, you know, kind of hand to mouth and you're getting down to paycheck to paycheck. We start to value and focus on different things. What advice do you have for someone who is in that struggle right now? Um, Cause I know you've been there. I've certainly been there for enough times. Grateful that w when they change, but what advice do you have for someone who's like, yeah, I get that. I want to follow my purpose, but I also, I need to feed my family. Mm -hmm. Feeling like, because I think on one side, you could say that's two different directions. But I know there's also potentially a path of both of those. What's your take on, you know, surviving versus following your purpose? Can you do both? Should you? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. I think, you know, there's a, there's a wonderful book out by Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus, The Passion Paradox. And it really, it really talks into exactly what you're talking about. And there's all sorts of different schools of thought, you know, burn the ship, right? No plan. Sure. You know, and I got a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and a professional wife who's a, who's a, you know, professional salesperson. Go tell them there's no plan B. <laughs> and here's here's the thing that's I, it that's and it I, and i get that trust me I, you know I've, i'm all in i've been in all in my business things are going well there was a time where it's like you know all those people that supported you are jumping off they're kind of keeping their distance like oh man he's you know they're scrambling i remember those days right and, and people people used to say to me well what's going to be like when when they jump back on your bandwagon, is that going to be hard for you? Well, no it's not gonna be hard for me and it hasn't been hard for me because guess what that means we're successful so it all depends on how you look at things. But I think if you really want to be able to align your purpose, you know, find your purpose, find your passion, ask yourself five questions. And I kind of went through these already. What makes you come alive? What, you know, people focus so much on what keeps you up at night. Well, what about what gets you up in the morning? Mm. What is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? You know, I get up every day between four and four thirty, and I've always got something that gets me out of bed. You know, that doesn't mean, hey, that doesn't mean it's all sunshine, rainbows, and unicorns. I'm always smiling. But I'm telling you what, I got a level of energy um, that I love. And what are your strengths? 
I just really dial into what are you good at? Now I came from a, a time growing up in athletics where it's like, what are your weaknesses? And you need to work on those, right? Yes. Yes. Nowadays, the whole shift is what are your strengths and let's, let's improve those and, and, and let's really leverage those into success. And number three, where do you add the greatest value? And then how will you measure your life? Now here's the, here's the big one. Here's a key one. Figure out who will pay you the most money to do that. Figure out who will pay you the most money to do that. To live out your purpose. Yeah. Because there's, there's, there's a way to do it. But, you know, it's funny because one of my challenges, I look back like, okay, if someone was stuck like you and I were in the mortgage business and we didn't think like we were making a difference and we didn't understand where our purpose or our why fit in. Inside, sure. of, inside of this book, The Passion Paradox, there's a story that really resonated with me about a woman named Marissa Newman, right? She was a 32-year-old um, doctorate student, PhD student, and she was studying philosophy at UT, University of Texas. And she studied the philosophy, didn't know what she was going to make of her life with a philosophy degree, you know, like so many of them do. She went to law school and then all of a sudden got her law degree. And she's still kind of like, okay, what, what am I going to do? I really just don't want to be just a lawyer. And what she did is she figured out to craft her jobs in the legal industry by being the one who leveraged her strength in the big strategic conversations. Okay. okay. So she took that whole philosophy mindset of almost, you know, I, I like to call it sometimes paralysis by analysis, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, and she took that and she took her purpose, she took her why, and, and she dug into that and leveraged it inside of um, the legal industry, which made her a huge success. Okay. So now talk to me a little bit about then, again, going back to the, the tie-in, because I love this. I love taking... Uh, with athletics to business. And I love taking something that you know, something you're passionate about. And sometimes it's about infusing that, right? So like I love mountaineering and climbing and I love getting out there, but I decided a long time ago, I don't want to be a climbing guide. I don't want to be dragging people up a mountain. I don't want to take the thing I love and turn it into something that I have to do. Mm -hmm. So instead, I love taking leadership principles and, and mountaineering principles and bringing it into the training I teach and that's a lot of fun. So right. talk to me about this because I love your, your podcast, um, The Athletics of Business. What's the, what's the purpose of, how do, they, how do they tie in together? Is it about bringing athletic like principles into business or is it simply about growing a strong business? Which one ties into which and how does it work? Why did you land on that? So the athletics of business is that leadership mindset that the traits and behaviors of high performing teams and elite athletes are key to your success in business. And here's, here's where that came from. I mentioned that I grew up a coach's son, old school, Catholic league, Southside Chicago. My dad taught me two things about basketball. First one was it's a frame of mind game. Okay. Basketball is a frame of mind game. And then the other one's more about athletics. Athletics are a microcosm of life. And for whatever reason, I bought all into that at a very, very, very young age. And I realized that, you know, and I realized even when I was 10, 11, 12, if he wasn't coaching my team, whoever was coaching my team was in charge and there was something they were going to teach me that I didn't know. And I was part of something bigger than myself. And, you know, everyone talks when they talk about athletes being successful in business, they look at the, the discipline, the routines, the rituals, and uh, the work ethic, and the never say die attitude. All of those things are so important, all things we talk about. But what I really love about the athletics of business is when we start talking about culture, and we start talking about what it takes to get to that culture. And, you know, and I, I, I 
we have a program that I love, Unleashing Greatness Through Authentic and Resilient Leadership. And the authenticity piece is getting to know you as an individual and getting to know you and your team collectively together right? So you establish your vision, you establish your core values. It's broken down the authenticity piece. You break it down into honesty, integrity, and vulnerability, right? And when you do that, when you do that in the business world, when you do it in life, you level up your resiliency to the point where you're going to grow through adversity, right? You're going to, you're going to learn through failure and you're, you're going to drive a culture that continues to thrive and sustain a level of success that'll be unmatched in your industry. And it sounds real simple, but it's not easy to do. There's so much that goes into it. But one of the things that drives that, and this is what I love bringing to the table, is being in the fight together with my clients. And I shouldn't say fight, you know, stepping alongside them and taking the journey with them and coaching them. I mean, today's workforce, what do they want? They want to know, and, and rightfully so, what do they want? They want to know they're valued. Okay. They want to know that their work is important and has meaning and they want to be coached. Right. And that's interesting that you said three things just now for what today's workforce wants. And none of them were get paid the most money, get the best cars. Uh And that's true. Like every recent study is going to show um, that pay and salary as important as it is, you know, to the, we'll call it the millennials, but you know, that's a pretty wide range at this point, kind of the under 35, 36 year old workforce. Right. Like salary is number five or six, depending on which survey you read. It's important, but it's not the first one. It's being valued as having a purpose. It's knowing they're part of a bigger purpose and so forth. Can you add, tell me yeah. real quick, you, you talked about authenticity and uh, quite a bit, of course, and resiliency. What does it take to be authentic? What does it actually mean? Because it's such a buzzword that people sure. are authentic, authentic, but practical terms like brass tacks, how does a leader who says, I want to be authentic, how do they show up authentic? What's the difference being well, taken the right way. You, you, first of all, you, your level of self-awareness has to be elevated. Okay. And that's a competitive advantage. I don't think people get that. The higher level of self-awareness you have, the, the greater competitive advantage you have. All right. So you have to know what your core values are. You have to know what you stand for. And it has to be an unshakable foundation of values. Um, and when you do that, then you get to the integrity piece, which basically means that, you know, what you say and what you do are aligned. Right. And it's an alignment of your values, your beliefs, and most importantly, your behavior. And you have to do that consistently. And when you do that consistently, you're going to build, and I love to use the word unshakable because it's a visual, you are going to build such a solid, grounded, unshakable foundation of trust with your people because they're going to know what to expect from you. You know, and I like to talk to, when I was a college basketball coach, one of the biggest things I took from my time with Coach K at Coach's Clinics and talking to him, and it's actually, it's in one of his books. Um, I think it's in uh, his book, Leading with the Heart, but he talks about this and you think about it, you need to be the face your team needs. Okay. You need to show the face your team needs. But the, uh, the big piece of that puzzle is your team has to trust it's, that's your true, genuine face. It's your authentic face because you have to be who you say you are. And, and I'll tell you what, I lived it out in the mortgage. I didn't tell you this, the, the gentleman who's my first mentor in the mortgage industry, well, he's the one responsible for giving Manafort the $16 million for the home that started this whole mess that's going on right now. Oh, wow. Now, so my point being is I didn't know what authenticity was in the business world when I first got out of coaching. And, and that's the big piece. And you have, to, you have to be consistent. And then the vulnerability piece of authenticity, you have to have the humility, the ability, and the desire to ask your people for help. 
that, you know, there's going to be a gap at times between what you know and what needs to be known to come up with a solution. Because so many times as leaders, we think we're supposed to have all the answers. No, yes. our, our responsibility is to come up with a solution. And when mm -hmm. you make yourself vulnerable to your people, you're showing them three things. You're showing them, A, I respect you as a person. I respect too. I respect your skills and your experiences. And three, most importantly, you're showing you trust them because you're making themselves vulnerable. So you talk about empowering your people and what that does for your culture and your trust. And when you do that consistently and your people can know what to expect from you, you're going to develop a culture with fighting for and You know, you're gonna make it hard for people to leave. You'll recruit to top talent. You'll attract top talent. You retain top talent and you'll be able to do what I call develop your bench. You know, everyone talks about what well, millennials up and leave, you know, one and a half to two and a half, three years. Well, you know, give them a reason to want to stay. Give them a reason. Everyone talks about, well, this is what, you know, millennials want. This is what this generation, no, this is a multi-generational, you know, desire, but this is the, this is the generation that is comfortable in their voice saying it. Right. And, and you think about athletics, that's what it always was. You wanted to know as a player, you want to know that your coach valued you. You want to know that you had some sort of meaningful role on the right. team. And on the bench or on the field, they, yeah, you want to know it. that there's something that means. So I love that. So being yeah. authentic when I'm pulling away is number one is congruency and integrity. So if you want to be authentic, you can't just like say authentic things. You need to do authentic things. Right. And then when you talk about it, and then when you encourage people to follow along, they can see that you're eating your own cook and you're doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, I love this, man. Ed, I could talk to you for forever, but as we're winding down here, um, I just want to have Kind of one final question, guys. You can find, remember, Ed, uh, you want to listen. This podcast is, is epic. You have some great people on here. You have NFL people. You have basketball people. You have business people. Uh, it's incredible. But check it out at theathleticsofbusiness.com, the Athletics of Business. And you can get the Athletics of Business podcast anywhere where you get podcasts. And then if you go to the themolitorgroup.com, it's M-O-L-I-T-O-R, themolitorgroup.com. Um, you'll find out about the podcast, all things ed and consulting. And if you had advice for your, your fresh young self, just getting onto the A&M uh, coaching team, looking back with all that you've done now, what advice would you give yourself? Would you change anything or would you leave it all the same? No, I would definitely change some things. And, and, and the first thing I would change is be comfortable being yourself. You're good enough and yes. get 1% better every day. And then I would also tell yourself, get over yourself. You're not as good as you think. And, <laughs> and, and, and you know, it just, and really the big one is see the big picture because when you're, you know, we knew we were fighting for our jobs. Right. And when you, when you're fighting for your job, you have a tendency to have a very, very, very narrow focus, but see the big picture. And the biggest be conscious, no matter how young you are in the business world, in the athletic world, whatever your field of endeavor, no matter how young you are, know that the words you speak, and the actions you take, the behaviors you execute are going to make an impact on the people you lead and the people you work alongside. Just make sure it's a positive impact. Man, great words. Well-spoken. Ed Molitor, everyone. Thank you so much, Ed. Thank you, man. All right, guys, that's the show for this week. Hope that was powerful and useful, man. I loved uh, connecting with Ed. What a good dude. And I'm telling you, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this episode on, uh, on slow. I'm going to put it on half speed to make sure I get all of these gems because he just so much is coming out of this guy's life experience. Um, that's it for this week. Make sure you check out the molitorgroup.com and check out the Athletics of Business podcast. You can follow Ed at LinkedIn and Facebook at the Molitor Group. That's it. Make sure you follow me at Matt Browning, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, whatever you like, I'm there. Uh, and subscribe and rate, review the show, The Driven Entrepreneur. 
We're out. Have an awesome, awesome weekend. Get out there. Use this from athletics to business and crush it today. Hope you have an awesome weekend. I'll see you Tuesday. Tuesday.